Today, Mary interviews author D.L. Carter about writing and other things. We celebrate Hairball Awareness Day and wrap up Poetry Month with some of Robin's awesome poetry. All this and more on The Leskade! Mary McGinley, and you're listening to Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. And I'm Wendy Sheridan. And it is the 25th of April today, or 24th, sorry, <laughs> looking at numbers that aren't today. So it's the 24th when the show drops. On um, the Thursday, the 25th is Take Our Children to Work Day. Uh, and then on the 26th is Hairball Awareness Day, which is very important because the last thing you want is to be putting your shoes on in the dark and stepping in a cat hairball that they've oh. thrown up into your shoe. So, yeah, it's, yeah. so it's people being aware of hairballs, not like being aware of how to prevent them for your cat. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it's a self-serving awareness thing. So I don't, I don't know how you could not be aware of hairballs because every time they make one, they go. <laughs> and wake you up well it's if they're doing it in the room you're sleeping in <laughs> oh i can hear them all over the house that's good that's good i can't Ew. i will i will find them like on the steps or on the floor and then i have to go remind myself to brush the cats alan always steps in them that's true yeah. um and i have had a cat throw up in my shoe and I didn't I think I was visiting somebody's house but it was really ooh, awful ooh. <laughs> cold 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 cat vomit mm. welcome to the <laughs> little warm shape, shape of disgusting conversation <laughs> <laughs> it's better than warm cat vomit yes <laughs> only slightly <laughs> um and on the 26th is the national tell a story day mm. uh and I think that's also the day that the Avengers movie will open. And uh, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because Sunday the 28th is National Superhero Day. Yay! Awesome. Uh, Will we get to all be a superhero on that day? Sure. No capes. Dress up as one. I'll probably be a <laughs> Spider-Man because that's what I like to dress as. <laughs> now you've got the song stuck in my head. <laughs> And on the 30th, the last day of April, is a few things. It's Adopt-A-Shelter-Pet Day, and that's important because uh, it's, I think it's kitten season. <laughs> there will be lots of, lots of kittens available. Um, it's Bugs Bunny Day and National Honesty Day, and I think for that, I'm going to stay home and not talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, well, that, I wanted. I have a good. question. I have a question. On National Honesty Day, will Trump's head explode? <laughs> <laughs> On uh, the twenty fourth today, it is the birthday of Barbara Streisand and Cedric the Entertainer. So happy birthday to them! On the twenty sixth, the comic genius Carol Burnett was born. On the twenty sixth, and also Roger Taylor, who 
played drums for Duran Duran, if you're not a person of that era. <laughs> Speaking uh, of Duran Duran, I just have to throw this out because we were I flipping through the channels and one of the one of the movie networks was showing Barbarella. Oh, wow. Well. Um, Right, so that's you, where they got the name. That's where Duran Duran, that's like I keep, always forget, and then I watch it, and it's like, oh, wow, that's right. That's where they get their name from. Thank you for that, because I was trying to remember. I said I knew they got that from a movie, and I was like, what was that movie? And, the, yeah, of course it was that one. And it's so. just so terrible. <laughs> the movie is just, I'm trying to watch. You know, we watched about 10 minutes of it, and it's just so bad. That's too funny. And I'm, like, looking at this, this, this blind angel guy, and I go, wow, I used to think he was so hot when I was a kid. <laughs> That's funny. That would be interesting <laughs> to revisit that. Um, anyway, on the 27th, happy birthday um, to Ace Fraley. <laughs> so, uh, from Kiss, of course. And, and Coretta Scott King it was her birthday, the 27th. And the 29th is the birthday of Jerry Seinfeld and Wilsey. Man, Wilsey. And Willie Nelson. <laughs> so, happy birthday to those folks. Happy birthday. Those are some pretty interesting juxtapositions. I think so. <laughs> Didn't we have, we had the, uh, oh, Iggy Pop and the Queen of England. We had, yeah. <laughs> well, that was a yeah. good one. <laughs> yep. That was last week. When yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. So what's happening in the news? I had read that, and this will have happened before uh, the show airs, but I read today that the Mueller report is going to be released this week. Mm, on yeah. That will be last Thursday for, <laughs> for everyone listening. So we'll see if it happens. Oh, it'll happen. It's redacted, but it, they announced it. So I'm assuming it's going to happen. Well, then it might not necessarily be the Mueller report if it's so redacted that there's nothing left. <laughs> well, that's well, true. And I'm going to, I'm going to be, um, I'm just going to be open to seeing what we see. Yeah. yeah, obviously yeah, when this hopefully. airs, what's we'll that? Be, we'll be hopeful. And when this airs, this will be very old news. Right. Um, well, what I'm hopeful for is the fact that there are 20 investigations that have spawned out of this anyway, and those are all yeah. going on. So, And that's and that's what they redacted. They redacted, um, this is what they're saying they redacted. They redacted, like, sensitive testimony from the grand jury testimony and stuff having to do with investigations that are still ongoing. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm guessing they don't want to taint any evidence or something. Yeah. I, I don't know how that works. So um, I think that's actually important, you know, yeah. from what I've been hearing about it, it's we want to know everything, but we don't want to damage the, the investigations that are going on. So I, right. I'm okay with deferring that knowledge till those happen you know i'm totally okay with deferring that knowledge it's the matter of is that really what uh bar is doing well that's true that's true and i i think um i'm hoping that people will keep the pressure on to make sure that we're getting as much real information as we can um yeah, i'm not sure if, what else we can do about it except sort of keep being loud oh, about it and pointing it out you know yeah yeah but i agree with you it definitely is um I don't think his he's there to be transparent <laughs> now. So I don't think anybody is there in the cabinet to do the um, intent of what they're supposed to be doing. Right. <sighs> but we will see. And thankfully, we've got, you know, New York and D.C. and other places that are working on a lot of this stuff. So I'm glad for that. 
Um, so what else is happening? There's uh, we have Nip Nipsey Hustle Memorial. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. We we gave a shout out to Nipsey Hustle on his birthday last year, and I wasn't as fully aware of how influential and he was in in hip hop and rap. Um, you know, he's someone that I I knew about and certainly thought he had a clever name. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but he was shot and killed in front of his clothing store in LA on the 31st of March. And um, I, you know, his, so many people came out to talk about his influence and how much he was doing for his community that they had really one of the most giant memorials I've ever seen happen. Stevie Wonder came out and had, had been looking forward to working with him actually. And he spoke and performed and um, Jay-Z and uh, Beyonce were there. Uh, Barack Obama wrote a letter that they read there. Um, So this was someone who really did a lot for his community. And on the, and I also didn't mention it immediately right after he passed away because there was some backlash from the LGBT community saying that he um, was also very homophobic. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. And so a lot of people were like, yeah, well, they didn't want to dance on his grave, but they weren't going to say much anyway, you know, and it's interesting. And I want to track down one article that I found that's talked about um, the complications of, you know, you have imperfect people. And when you have to deal with people who do great things and are also in, in his case, stuck in a kind of concept of, masculinity and, and particularly black masculinity um, that he was believing in, which wasn't, was obviously damaging to some people in the community. How do you sort of square all of those things? It was actually a really good um, article that could talk about. And you can't remember where the article is from? I'll find it. I mean, I will put, I will post it for sure. Okay. Um, that, would, that would be good. Yeah. But yeah. it was, it's sad that, that he, didn't live long enough to outgrow those attitudes. Right. That's kind of what I want to instead. That's kind of where I would like to, to take things like that. It's not like he's like, he's not, it's not like he's like Mitch McConnell who was beyond all hope, you know, he was, (laughs) he was, he's, he was a, he wasn't an old guy. He was still young and, and, and young enough to change his mind and be, and be enlightened about these things. Right. And I mm-hmm. like to hope that that's what would have happened had he not been killed. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and you still have to hope that, but I mean, you know, some, uh, someone also was killed in the, in the procession of mourners. There was a shooting and four people were shot and one person died. And there was a shooting in the procession of mourners. Uh, yeah. I think oh it was, I, I don't know exactly. I think it was after, but was still, people were still outside, you know, um, mourning him and then there was something else and so it's just it's um it's something to I don't know I don't know the solution but I know that um it's just something to shine a light on and to recognize that you know violent well gun violence you know I don't know we can do something about it and um just keep speaking up and and for people like him to keep trying to do positive things to get people out of that um cycle you know so yeah. complicated person, good stuff happened. A lot of people honored him. So it was just worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Julius Assange, <laughs> Julian Assange, that's a lot of news. Yeah. <laughs> just, 
just feels so bizarre that what <laughs> just that whole the whole thing about how the embassy <laughs> what, there was a, a comedian I, the other day who was talking about he's like this this bad roommate that you can never get rid of like if you're out sharing in, in the yeah. bad roommate and that's kind of how he became over time yeah but, yeah I could imagine being stuck in a building for seven years, like you become a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Cabin fever. Yeah. But I was, I was sort of like, I was thinking like these people are basically saving your ass. So how are you going to be a shitty roommate? But then I guess, you know, if you're kind of going insane, I don't know. It's hard to know what's what, going on. But when, I know a lot of people are concerned about the cat. That's yeah. <laughs> that's why, that's why I put this down there. I put this down, not about Julius Assange, but it's his cat. Julian, right. Julian. Well, Assange. Yeah. The cat was like wrecking stuff at the embassy. I'm, well, I'm sure. He wasn't cleaning up after the cat was what it was. So the cat was peeing all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can. What I I think a cat would do that if you didn't clean up after. Well, why did yeah. he let him take his cat with him? <laughs> so we've had no news about the cat. No, like what what happened to the poor cat? And, you know, the the cat got stuck in there for seven years too. The cat went through all this, uh, you know, uh, being a prisoner. And he didn't know what was going on, why he had to be stuck there. And I could see that he was miserable. And and now, what did they put it in a shelter? I am looking at this right now. Um, Embassy Cat tweeted regularly beginning with his arrival in May 2016. Cute photos <laughs> with the norm, blah, blah, blah. Uh, anyway, the cat has... The cat has a Twitter? Yeah, okay. apparently yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's not in the embassy anymore. Oh, um, so he got thrown out of the embassy too. I guess he got kicked out. So yeah, I'm reading here. Uh, this is in the, an article from on NPR.org. But according to Hannah Johansson, whom the Washington Post described as a member of the Assange legal team, Assange was incensed by the threat to put embassy cat in the pound. <laughs> he asked his lawyers to take his cat to safety, Johansson said. Oh. Jonasson said. The cat is with Assange's family. They will be reunited in freedom. Oh, I'm glad to so hear that. the cat that. is safe. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> yes. Me too. And they won't have to wear stupid ties in the meantime. The cat is important. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. The cat the cat didn't do anything. Except pee on pee everything. On. Well, that's what they do. Yeah. You know. When, when they're unhappy, they do that. Or even... Well, okay. <laughs> We've become gonna... a podcast of cat ladies here. <laughs> well, no, Robin is allergic, so she has no cats. So, so yeah. yeah. Although I did, I did, uh, I hung out with a cat last night and came home with uh, too much dander. So, uh -oh. you know, I, I, I dose myself accidentally once in a while. <laughs> well, I know you let them, you let my cats rub all over you. I love them. I can't help it. But I, well, yeah, it's sort of they they do that to people. Yeah, they find the person anyway. who's allergic and then they go right for it's, them. It's yeah. their superpowers yeah. to be adorable. So adorable little murder machines. <laughs>
because it's Poetry Month. Lovely listeners, we love you all, and we'd love to hear from you. So post your comments on our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And please go to iTunes or wherever you go to get your podcasts and give us a five-star review. We really need those reviews, and that would help us out a lot. Thanks a lot. Hey, I'm here today with um, a friend of mine who I think is a really interesting person. And I'm, we're in the Barnes & Noble coffee shop. It's actually the coffee shop of the bookstore, which is really kind of amazing that it still exists. I thought Barnes & Noble went out of business. So we'll have ambient noises while we're going on. Anyway, my friend is Deliana Carter. She is a author and she writes such interesting books to, that to me, uh, I, at first I've known her for years and didn't know she wrote and then finally when I found out what she wrote and I looked at them um, and they were so much fun to me that I I just had to interview her. So, Dee, hi. How are you doing? I'm dancing in the street. How are you? <laughs> okay. Well, Dee, I just wanted to ask you, first of all, um, because it was surprising to me that you were an author. I just knew you for so long and didn't know that you wrote. When did you start writing and how did that happen? We, my family lived in the outback of Australia, and we would get... Um, a butcher roll of paper, which is like 20 yards of paper delivered to the house once in a while. Mm -hmm. And my mother tells me I used to scribble on it while reading, while talking to myself. Mm -hmm. And whenever she read me a story, I would ask her what happened next. And she said, no, the story's over. And I would proceed to tell her mm -hmm. a story. So apparently I've been writing since I was preliterate. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's cool. Um, the so what kind of things did you write about then, and is it any different now? Oh, uh, it's different now because I'm no longer three. Mm. I um, started writing... Uh, the Americans don't have the Enid Blyton books, so I started writing The Adventures of Kids in School, uh, falling through wardrobes and falling through mirrors and going into spaceships because I was very young. Then I got a little older and started writing very complicated stories involving... Um, whole universes mm -hmm. and traveling to different planets because I discovered Star Trek and Doctor Who. And mm -hmm. So I started writing fan fiction for Doctor Who and Star Trek just mm -hmm. for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, the thing that struck me when I, when I read your book, the, the, um, when, what was the first one? Uh, I'm thinking of outrageous now. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. And the second one was... Out, outrageous, obstreperous, obstreperous. My, my publisher hates me for obstreperous. Why? Because she didn't know what the word was. Oh. Well, she knew what the word was, but she didn't have and had never had a reason to use it in conversation. Mm. So, I actually, my first book to be published was the use of changing magic, which mm. is a paranormal universe and elves and magic and all sorts of things and never took off. So mm -hmm. she called me up and she said, what else have you got that's finished that you can show me? Because this paranormal book is, although I love it, it's not selling. And I said, well, mm -hmm. I have this mumble, 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 mumble. And she said, what are you talking about? I said, I have a Regency romance. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, do people still read Regencies? Yes, people mm -hmm. still read Regencies. Mm -hmm. 
She said, what's it called? I said, ridiculous. She said, I know what, go, I know you. What's it called? I said, ridiculous. And she said, no, really, what is it? And I said, it's ridiculous. And she finally understood that that was the title. And then I created the sequel to it. I called it Obstreperous. And she, she had to edit the book, <laughs> which meant that um, she had to see the word Obstreperous a few more times. And the book started to fight back. Mm -hmm. So editing it was a more complicated process than she wanted. So the book, mm -hmm. Obstreperous means resistant and hard and complicated and, well, fighting. Mm -hmm. And so did the book. Mm -hmm. But it, the book fought. The book fought. It fought editing. It was a difficult book to bring out. We It crashed when we first tried to upload it to uh, Amazon. So it was not a very happy book. But it's out. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness. Now I've got to write a sequel. Mm. Well, I just wanted to let our listeners know that the reason why I wanted to talk to you about this, too, was that um, I'm not a fan of Regency romance, for say. Although I do like historical, I mean, I like Jane Austen, you know, so I, I read those when I was young. But uh, I wasn't really a romance person. But then when I read your book, the characters, the, especially the women characters, are so strong and so interesting and so funny. I, I love your sense of humor. I'm very strange. I bought my sense of humor at a uh, blue light special. It's broken, which I should have taken under advisement. But yes, I, am, I admit to being strange. I'll raise my hand to that one. And I see no reason why I shouldn't be. But Ridiculous originally started as a parody mm -hmm. because there were all these poor but honest girls being chosen by a duke to be uh, his love of his life. And I'm going, no. For mm -hmm. one thing, there are only 14 dukes. <laughs> and in the modern times, four of those titles are held by two people. Mm -hmm. So, it, And people have been writing Regency romances involving dukes and I've had read one where they had seven dukes sitting at a table. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So I decided to write a parody, and it turned out that um, uh, very popular. I was uh, kind of shocked by that. But mm -hmm. I, it was a rather cold decision to write a Regency romance, I have to admit, because it is a very popular subgenre, and I decided to have fun with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you enjoy meeting Bro Bummel? Oh, yeah, yeah, and I've read other stories where he appeared in, and I've always wondered about him, and I thought you characterized him what I thought he would be like. <laughs> really just an annoying pain in the ass. <laughs> but I have to write, my stories only work when I write from the point of view of the heroine, and mostly what I was trying to do with Ridiculous, which is in the genre of women dressed as men, Mm -hmm. we know historic that was the first thing that drove that attracted me too because I'm very Shakespearean that's very Shakespearean and one of my favorite movies is Sylvia Scarlet with Catherine Hepburn where she has to disguise herself as a boy and 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 her father gets lost out in the in a uh, forest in the uh, storm and it, so I love the the throwback to Shakespeare that you have in your books too Oh, I, I enjoy Shakespeare. He uh, covered so much of human experience in all his, in his plays and his poems and everything. I have the advantage of a diverse education, um, being that I wasn't educated in America. <laughs> but I read The Adventures of Mulan 
before Disney stole it and I read historical books for the fun of it and one of the mm -hmm. things I know is women successfully dressed themselves as men and served in military and served as doctors and served uh, and actually passed them off for their entire lifetimes as men. Mm -hmm. So I saw, and when I read a book and where somebody has a woman dressed as a man and the hero looks at her and says, oh, that ass is definitely a woman's, I want to hit somebody. Mm -hmm. We are better than that. We are successful at confu confusing men. We've been doing it for a while now, and I see no reason why my character should not have a successful life dressed as a man in that particular era. Well, it's really a lot of fun, too, and I, I always like the situations that you get your characters in. Um, I wanted to ask you, though, uh, about your process. How do you, you say you're full of ideas, which is really good, because I'm sure people say, where do you get your ideas from? But also, getting an idea and then the process of creating a story about it, how, do you write an outline? Are you organized like that, or what? Well, I have one book that I wrote without an outline and I had gotten 75% through the book and I couldn't write anymore because I didn't know it was a murder mystery and I didn't know who done it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that was a bad idea. Yeah, I created all these characters. They all have a really good reason to actually commit this crime. And uh, what have I done? So I actually, uh, I actually remember posting to Facebook the day I said, I know who done it now. I can finish the book. But now I plot. Mm -hmm. I plot a lot. I um, have I I have a lot of ideas, and so I've got a database which is basically um, the first thought that I have about a book, which is usually what you call an elevator pitch. It's a one-line mm -hmm. reason for writing a book, mm -hmm. and then I write down the characters that speak to me to be the reason for the book, and then I write um, a couple of paragraphs to a couple of pages on what I think would happen in that book. And that database has to go to one side because I'm writing something. I'm always writing something. So I have to finish what is in front of me. So some of my books have ended up with 72 pages of plot outline. Um, other times I have just written, just sat in front of the computer and done free flow ideas of what am I going to do and where is it and why is it. And I will just do conversations and scenes and just mm -hmm. keep on going one after another. So then you, you're usually working on a couple different projects at a time? I'm usually editing something, writing something, and I have something on one side for when I am... I carry notebooks with me mm -hmm. and pencil and paper. Oh, my God. So that if I get struck with an idea, then I can write it down for later. And other times I'll be working on something that is not as important as my work in progress mm -hmm. because I need a break mm -hmm. from the book and... Other times it's just that somebody will say, well, what are you writing right now? And I said, well, you know, I've got this idea. Mm -hmm. People have asked me, what's it like to live inside my head? <laughs> I say, noisy and crowded. <laughs> but I only do the fun stuff mm -hmm. that the voices tell me to do, which, you know, got me. They tell you some unfun stuff? I, yeah, because you have to have a black moment in your book. Uh. I read a book recently by a famous author who shall remain nameless, but she actually puts out a book a month. The book had no gray moments, no black moments, and the only thing that was the tension in the story, keeping mm -hmm. the guy and the girl together, uh, apart rather, mm -hmm. was that one of them had a nasty mom. Oh, and that's all the conflict. That was it. And I'm going, yeah. oh, you know, do better. You have to do better. You have to make something bad. I actually had a great 
grey moment turn up out of unexpectedly in the middle of a conversation between my two characters. We are trying to make a situation where the you know I had a scene where I had to have the hero and the heroine in a room together talking about a problem, and this was supposed to be developing their intimacy because mm-hmm. prior to that they had a professional relationship. Mm-hmm. They had lusted about each other but never spoken about it so mm-hmm. okay I'm, I'm bored with you guys you've got to talk mm-hmm. and in the middle of this conversation it turns out that there is a famine and a potential eco- econo- ecological mm-hmm. disaster going to happen I said really I didn't know that <laughs> oh, oh actually I did know that because um, in, a, in a chapter like five chapters ago I had another character in passing say my family's farm is failing mm. oh goody now I've got a black moment coming yay I've mm. got a really big black moment coming I can, and I've got a reason for a second book I should be shot <laughs> alright so it, they hit me yeah. Okay. so the ideas hit you what hits you I usually get hit by what I call the elevator pitch, a one-line thing. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book once because I wanted to have a title, and the title of the book was First Destroy All Giant Monsters. Mm-hmm. Because that was watching daikaiju movies from a Godzilla fan since I broke my leg and had to stay home from school for a very long time. Um, I sat and watched Japanese ca- uh, movies every afternoon for a couple of months Mm -hmm. and one of them started with this thing that says but Wes we are going to take over the earth but first we must destroy the giant monsters I was like really? China's army has one million men but you don't give a shit about what's that? You have to destroy the giant monsters goody so then the second book in that series is going to be do not awaken the ancient evil you moron (laughs) Because so many stories start with somebody going and building a house or going into a house they've been told to stay away from mm-hmm. or going and, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. you've been told, idiot, stay away from there just just for once. Doctor Who does that all the time. Yeah. Go somewhere where he's told not to go. And the third book in that series just, I had to have the title, was Bad Deity Bad. No apocalypse for you. <laughs> okay, so that is the sort of things that hit me and I'm, I'm having conversations with myself. Mm-hmm. I once wrote a whole book because a nurse was leaning against the wall with me wearing a, a scrub top that said um, all of the Acme cartoon characters. And I was thinking, you know, I've got a serial, serial profiler who is analyzing what is wrong with all the Acme cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pepe Le Pew is a narcissistic erotomaniac. <laughs> and... Um, Bugs Bunny is jonesing for marijuana. How else do you explain getting so confused and that you mistake Pismo Beach for the Sahara Desert and you're always jonesing for carbohydrates? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something seriously wrong there. Mm-hmm. But that's why... That, so the ideas, ideas are just... They never stop. So you're always thinking about things and analyzing things and figure, figuring things out. That's, that's interesting. But you mentioned, too, that being a nurse, too, at the same time, you, you seem to be the busiest person that I know. <laughs> how, how is it possible that you find the time to do the writing that you do? I hired a lady to do the laundry. Oh, that sounds like a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> I had to. I had to. Even though it's just the, the three of us now, um, I have to have somebody do the laundry so that I'm not guilty about the incredible leaning tower of, tower of stuff Mm-hmm. But 
I had to pick something important and the the voices in my head are very demanding mm-hmm. and I have to I have to look after them as well. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that creative people tend to live in untidy houses. Yeah, I I think I can claim to be very creative. <laughs> That's why we're meeting at a coffee shop, right? You are not coming into my house. You are not coming into my house. No, no, no. no. You're not coming into my house either. But you've seen through the doorway all the piles of stuff. <laughs> well, yes, there's a British poetess. Is a poet? Um, Jane. She wrote a poem called The Heap of Stuff Attack. Mm-hmm. And she talks about the you know, pile of stuff at the bottom of the staircase to go up and the pile of stuff at the top of the staircase to go down. And I know exactly what she means. Mm. So when you were talking about the stories and how you had to have a black moment at certain points, it, it makes me think that you've studied um, story writing. Have you studied formally or anything? Or, or is this just all natural talent oozing out of you? Oh, thanks, love. <laughs> Oozing sounds so, so untidy. Um, I go to writers' conferences a lot, and I present as well as learn, because you're always learning your process. But one of the things I noticed and then got confirmed going to conference is TV shows are very useful things mm-hmm. for learning the importance of plotting, because a TV program used to be five... Uh, uh, five acts Mm -hmm. and prior to every advertisement there has to be a moment that makes you want to sit through the mm, insert profanity here advertisements to come back for the next Mm -hmm. scene so they would have cliffhangers they would have somebody's in trouble they've got a half finished conversation to make you go to the next part so that was um, some people talk about three acts in a book Mm -hmm. I think five or six is a better idea five is kind of classic from classical yeah. Yes. Uh, Shakespeare, may he be blessed somewhere, um, mm. did a lot of five acts. And he did an awful lot of black moments and things mm-hmm. missing. And he would have a scene end, and you go, right, well, what happens now? And you go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, thank you very much. I'm Now I have to find out. Mm-hmm. I also admit to cheating when it comes to getting people to read my books. What do you mean by cheating? When I'm writing it, I don't write chapters. I just write the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I go back and I do an awful lot of editing, several passes to edit it. But one of the things I have to do is make the person read the book and not put it down. Mm-hmm. Because if people put it down, well, first of all, you've lost their attention. So if a scene is, I can go to sleep now and I don't have to care about what happens next, that's a boring scene and has to go or be rewritten or something has to happen. Mm-hmm. So when I'm writing, when I'm doing the final pass and putting in the chapters... I will go approximately 10,000 words, and then I'll read backwards and forwards saying, where is a natural break in the scene, but is not the end of a scene? Never have a person go to bed at the end of a chapter. They've Mm -hmm. got to be talking about it with the bed possibly in the beginning of the next chapter Mm -hmm. or maybe five chapters from now. Mm -hmm. So you cheat. You don't want people to see the words chapter four, chapter five, chapter six. Mm -hmm. You wanted them to see the next thing. So people were actually writing their reviews that I was awake at three o'clock in the morning and suddenly realized the book was over. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, yes, I won that review. I did that when I read your book. Yeah, I did. What time? Oh, I don't know. Could have been, I think I stayed up all night reading your book. So Uh, so now I'm confessing to do it on purpose. And I Mm -hmm. actually teach that at 
conferences is, yes, you've got your scenes, you've got your black moments. You may actually put the hints at the end of one chapter and have your gray moment or your black moment in the beginning of the next chapter, but people have been dragged, kicking and streaming through the entire book to get to the payoff. Usually breathless and um, curious and driven to finish the book because they have to. And I get reviews of saying, I read it at work. Every time somebody turned their back on me, I took it out and I was reading mm. on my Kindle. I was like, yeah, okay, I win. <laughs> good, good. So do you have a lot of fun writing these things? I hate my book. I love it, my precious one. I love it. I can't it. Burn it with fire. Um, sure. Okay. Okay, so you've got the Regency romances, and you've got the fantasy, um, and science fiction, too? Mm-hmm, and murder mysteries. But science fiction, I've got a space opera that when I, that is, yeah, maybe a third written with the outline. Um, I, I stopped writing it when I realized that I had to study um, the... Uh, the Marquis de Sade, <laughs> and reread uh, the decline and fall of the Roman Empire so oh. that I could finish it. And when you realize that about a book, you know, you're having to educate yourself. One thing to say you've got to do some research on the internet, another thing to say you have to read the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. Mm, the book is on the shelf for a while. I remember the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. I never read it. I just saw it on the shelf, and it was a big book. It's six big books. Yeah. I, I did read it in high school, I admit it. I didn't pay much attention in class, but I did read an awful lot of books underneath the mm. table, mm. Uh, for which I will one day be forgiven by my teachers. Well, you know, you're making me think about, too, is the, the research that you do. Tell me what kind of research. You, you brought a book that you were showing me, too. Tell us about that a little bit. I have, since I write a lot of Regencies, I actually bought a lot of antique books. I have books that were, I have a book on medicine that was printed in 1813 in England. I have a ladies' book of days from the year 1817. I have got this book that I've showed you, which has got the most amazing title. It is a family encyclopedia or compendium of useful per, uh, info, useful information for persons of the ordinary life with illustrations. That's great that it has illustrations. Um, that was printed in 1833, and it's got a lovely thing because in the beginning it has the science of phrenology. Oh, uh-huh. Yes, which was... That's the bumps on your head, right? That's the bumps on your head. I will yeah. give you a bump on your head and make you more disur disturbing. Or the ver it has starts with the varieties of human family, which talks about the Tatar or Mongol race, the Malay. And I'm going, okay, this is um, intellectual capacity. This is the attitude of persons of the ordinary life and, and professional classes. So I actually ask people if, whether or not they are professional as per the definition from the Regency era, and a lot mm -hmm. of people, we didn't have professions. You weren't a professional. Doctors weren't professionals. Mm -hmm. Nurses weren't professionals. But ordinary life, and this book assumes that you read, also ass assumes that you've never seen a pineapple. Mm -hmm. And this book also has recipes, and they're called recipes mm -hmm. um, for medicines, mm -hmm. for horses. Mm. Oh, <laughs> and she. Well, you got the horse. You got to take care of him. And mm. I, I, every now and again, I will. I have a, 
I have a ladies encyclopedia from 1850, which is kind of out of my era, but it was, you have to write a book, it takes a while, so it refers to things that are older. And I also have a copy of Fadice's sermons. Oh, Oh. were they popular? Fadice's sermons were pushed onto women because it wanted them to behave a certain way. And I have to tell you, Mr. Fordyce had serious issues. He Mm. hated women. He really Mm. did. He hated Mm. reading this from a modern standpoint. uh, This guy's got problems. Mm. Uh, He truly, with Mary... uh, And yet he was very popular among men back then? He was popular on men because he was teaching women to be subservient. You have to maintain your your public reputation, which means your behavior has to be extremely um, controlled, so that you don't inconvenience anybody. Because after all, you're only a woman, and you have to. You get hysterical. Oh please. You don't want to know what the Victorians thought the treatment for hysteria was. Oh, we have talked about that on our podcast, as a matter of fact. (laughs) We went through the whole list of reasons for women to be put into a mental institution. Well, actually, the vibrators were invented by... uh, We've talked about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I I like actually visiting the era, but it helps me to um, get the vernacular right Mm -hmm. and um, visit the people... Using the Book of Days is interesting because it doesn't isn't contain the things you think about. Mm-hmm. You would say, oh well, you know, maybe it's just flower arranging or something like that. No, the Book of Days actually talks about historical events, ship sinkings, famous battles, histori- you know, other countries, mm-hmm. so that you know that on that particular day at any social event, all the women of a certain educational class will be talking about the same freaking thing. Oh. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So they've, then oh, they've got a conversation day. opener. There you go. Yeah, okay. that's... Well, just thinking about the research that you do, and I, I was just wondering, too, about your relationship with your fans. And do, does anybody ever write to you and ask you about the research that you do or question it? Question it? <laughs> I, got a, I, got a, I got an email. Actually, I got a tagged on Facebook like four or five days ago from somebody who actually lives in the Cotswolds of England telling mm-hmm. me the difference between fens and fells uh-huh. because I had mislabeled the um, area known as uh, the Lake District mm-hmm. as fens when it's fells mm-hmm. and I apologize for that and I've got to change the ebook and adjust it. <laughs> I also got scolded for using a, um, a sovereign instead of a florin I got the currency wrong. I got that part of the currency wrong. So I retaliated by taking the reference out entirely. Oh, What's the difference between a sovereign and a florin? Um, The origin, the florin, is French. Oh, that's what I thought. A sovereign is English, right? Yes, it's a small gold coin, but its Mm -hmm. value is different. It's a pound is a different value from a, a... a guinea. Guinea. Mm-hmm. And going up the... I had to go and re-research. I grew up with the currency. I'm that old, yes. Mm-hmm. I remember the half penny and the quarter penny and the penny and the and the shilling. I had a tuppence in my shoe when I got married. Good luck with that. Yeah. And did you limp? No, but it was so <laughs> supposed to be good luck. <laughs> well, never give anybody a purse that has no money in it. Mm-hmm. I also delighted with telling people that, yes, Regency gowns do have pockets. 
Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. you actually had this fabric thing that you tied around underneath your clothing and a slit in the side of your skirt so you could reach in under your clothing to your pocket. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we should put pockets back in clothing. But I do research, and in the end of a couple of my Regency books, because I got questioned so many times, my publisher, being a lovely lady, let me put in a bibliography in the back of the book, in a Regency book. So that people can look it up for themselves. Yes. Whenever I use something that might be questioned, because I'm, I do get questioned, I have a book where it's, it's a murder mystery. And one of the things about the two of the characters, who are just like, you know, expository characters, they're there, they have a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is obsessed with collecting eggs. And the other one is obsessed with bobbin lace. Mm -hmm. Bobbin lace is, you know, people are very fond of it. It's a mm -hmm. craft. Mm -hmm. I had to describe its origin and why it would be there. I also had to prove that egg collecting was an appropriate hobby for a person of, of education in that era mm -hmm. um, and talk about why it's illegal now. Mm -hmm. why, so that a person would actually go from one location to another to buy another person's egg collection. Um, there was a book that came out in 1830 on egg collecting with illustrations and paintings and uh, etchings. So we know that somebody in the 1812 would have been researching that book and doing the painting, so somebody in 1812 could legitimately have that as a hobby. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason I put it in there, but it's mm -hmm. in the but the references to the various things are in the back of the frickin' book. There's mm -hmm. also I had somebody tell me that nobody would go to the Lake District. And I'm going, Wordsworth, Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they went to the Lake District. Admittedly, at the time, there was no village there. The village mm -hmm. of Windermere uh, mm -hmm. was not built for a lot later. And then people were telling me that no, people didn't travel to Cornwall. Uh, people lived in Cornwall. People traveled mm -hmm. in Cornwall. People owned estates in Cornwall. And mm -hmm. where do you think the the Prince of Wales comes frickin' from. Wales is just a few miles north of Cornwall. Yeah. So. I don't, people just want to complain. <laughs> <laughs> I have put some really silly things. One of the things the publisher wouldn't let me do is I referred to charcoal biscuits. And I am old enough that people used to sell charcoal biscuits, you know, ground up charcoal to make charcoal biscuits in the store because mm -hmm. it was a treatment for, for cows with indigestion. Mm -hmm. And at one time, it was a treatment for humans with d intestinal problems. Yeah, they sell it for um, flatulence. Yes, for flatulence. And um, mm -hmm. yes, Oreo cookies are a variation on charcoal cookies. They took the charcoal out of the recipe. But I found a recipe for it and in my medical book from the era, and my publisher wouldn't let me print it in the back because she said, some moron will do it. Oh, the, and, and then you might get sued. And then I might get in trouble. But yes, yeah. so having done some of the research, I don't sort of like do info dumps in the book mm. because that's bad writing. If you spend three chapters... It sounds like Clan of the Cave Bear to me. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> some of the 1970 books were talking about someone's childhood and their growing and, yeah. you know, yes, martial arts. Yeah, you, you can hint, you can you develop, you can put the information in the story somehow. But with my particular genre and my my fan base good god mm -hmm. um they they want to know that i'm right mm -hmm. and i get a lot of credit in the reviews that i do things like look at the regency era from the activities of the men instead of just dissing them explaining when they go to the smoking room what they're doing mm -hmm. and why the purpose of the smoking room and the difference mm -hmm. between the various rooms in the house because i researched it and they say it's really funny to discover that 
life is different for men and women. And if a woman dresses as a man, she actually goes into this life、mm. and can explore it. Yeah, this is cool. This is really interesting. So,、um, where can people get your books? Only Amazon. Only、uh, they are eBooks and paperbacks right now. Occasionally,、mm-hmm. I will do appearances at science fiction conventions on the east coast of the United States,、mm-hmm. up and down.、Um, but mostly, people、uh, buy it as an eBook.、Mm-hmm. I have, I know from my statistics that Amazon collects that I have people purchasing the book in Germany, Italy,、oh, cool. Japan, and India. And I'm still trying to figure out why people in India are reading Regency romances.、Huh. Well, this was lots of fun, and I'm getting really interested in getting some more of your books and reading them. Oh, goody! Just pick the ones that are not on sale. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Robin Renee. You can find me online at robinrene.com, and my music is on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. So check it out, and you can like me at facebook.com/robinrenefan, tweet at me at spiritrocksexy, and follow me on Instagram at robinrenemusic. I would love to hear from you. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over thirty original illustrations to color, printed on eighty-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from WendyCards.com. My Napo Rimo National Poetry Writing Month has not been going swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> I've been writing, and I've been writing a lot of crap. And weird haikus that don't make any sense, and it's really been—I、um, won't say painful, but painstaking. It's been not not easy, and sometimes writing isn't easy. And I'm just trying to be okay with that—that that not everything you write is going to be like amazing or anything like that. So is is Naporimo? If I'm saying、Nashville. it right, is that you're supposed to write an entire poem every day? Yeah, that's kind of—that's the goal—to write a、that's、poem. A lot of pressure. Yeah. Yep. It's actually, yeah, it's it's a lot, you know. I mean, it's probably it's fewer words than the na, nano rimo, nano rimo, nano rimo, whatever. Nano rimo, whatever. Yeah, and it's it's I I did Inktober last year, and that was it was a lot. It, it <laughs> yeah, I like seeing your drawings every day. That was cool. Oh, I I enjoyed doing it, and but it's just a lot of work. It was、mm-hmm. more than I thought, and I. I may someday try that novel writing one. It takes over your life. Oh, you're going to write a novel? Fifty thousand words in a month, and it's like basically fifty thousand words. It doesn't have to be good. Wow! Let's <laughs> get it out there. Go back and listen、yeah. to the conversation with D about that. Cool. <laughs> How so, that yeah. So I all right. So I did have a poem that I 
it's I don't like self-conscious poems about poetry, but <laughs> given that this is a, just sort of an intersection of um, what we talk about and what we do here, uh, that's sort of what came out. So this is, I don't know, it doesn't have a title, but here it is. Politics and poems share a full-size mattress, undress, but just enough, make motions, closer, closer, slide in slick and sweet, not much thinking to decide they are more than ready. When they scream it, bold, neighbors smirking loud, quick, bang it out, delicious, the stance shouts out her cause, poems let down, flat, but for anvilicious purpose. They keep at it, nightly, familiar, reliable, bored. Then, in some sweet afternoon, delightful stroke of light, lyric takes the hand of laying down the law. Words and sound lean in, first kiss, raspberry electric, hands, pens, sounds tracing bodies read each other's luxurious braille. Proletariat smooths into love-bonded fishermen on the dock at dawn. Intersectional shows its queer brown skin. Poetry jolts upward, awake, pulls the great statement back down, in, scissors style, humming, brimming, a climax of song. Meaning, too, dies the little death, both in postlingual afterglow, glimmer all that need be said. I like that. Yeah. Okay. I need to process. There's a lot to process. In yeah. There. And I think I'm going to be thinking about that as I watch Rachel Maddow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Interesting. Do you, um, I'm curious what your take of it was. Uh, I'm not a big poetry aficionado. Mm. Um, probably because my mom was an English teacher and it's sort of like, ah, <laughs> right. Um, but I, you know, some of it, I would like to see the words because some of it, it was hard for me to get a little bit of the imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very sexual, definitely. Um, yeah. and, and that was, kind of surprising in the context <laughs> mm -hmm. but overall overall i enjoyed it and and I, de I and it's like i'm not sure if i would get more out of poetry in general if i'm reading it or hearing it mm -hmm. you know i liked hearing it i liked it in i Robin's think it's good voice. to do both yeah i like this oral you know the the experience of it but then to look at the words also you know, and I guess this just came out of, for whatever reason, I mean, I think I communicate a lot about sexuality, but also through sexuality. And it's sort of, a, for me, it's a way of, it was a way of looking at like, how, when you, how do you put together writing and, and real creativity and trying to say a message and put a message out into the world and how do, how do those interplay? So it was yeah. kind of like them as lovers, basically. Yeah, that's <laughs> how that works. Yeah, I, I think I, I think on some level I did get that. It's just that I can't articulate it. Sure. <laughs> what I what I got were the images, uh, obviously, mm -hmm. but also uh, it was like this light kind of went on in my head and went, "Oh, that's the power of the attraction 
um, something that when politics seems very dry or the, you know, listening to what's going on seems very dry. No, it's not dry at all. It's, it's, um, it's hot. Nice. Mm -hmm. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, so there's some other poems that I've been, that are just sort of in my brain and are part of a growing collection that, um, you know, I guess they're in process, but I want to read um, another one. Go ahead. This is called, let me see. This is called Imposing Order. Fern-covered comforter, ashtray, t-shirt, plush toy, CDs toppled, unplayed, postcards, pens, men's tweed, playing cards, nightlight, dessert dishes, noise reduction headphones, noise reduction fan, noise rock to block the noise of sudden voices, cocooned in plaid flannel where you touched me for the second time. It was falling in, all falling in, long ago guru in saffron frame, dusty fallen, equal a shoebox, gym bag, laundry basket, falling in one thing at a time. I ring the meditation bell to nothing, no thing. Rush of silence, a distant fantasy. Memory, like arena god rock worship, tomboy tree climb, the first time words woke me. The cyclone hit one year ago, still no outside aid. First, the wind, the sudden end to walls, daily mind sewage flowed on chaos floors into our roots. Poison as without, so within. Where is the mop bucket? Where are my clothes for this new winter? The imposing order? The book of rules? Where are you? Where are you? In a disaster, you learn to be forgetful. I am losing track of love. Everyone else's art stands out most in a room of shame. That's disturbing. Mm-hmm. That was a journey. That yeah. Was, you know, I, and I have to, I have to tell you, my context. I'm coming from a lyricist perspective, so I find free verse hard, <laughs> hard to, hard to parse. Um, but it, it's like for me listening to that, it started out with this big jumble of things that that eventually turned into coherent sentences. That and was then, the disaster that happened. Yeah, and then we're in a disaster. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that was really cool. I really enjoyed listening to that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I will do, uh, there's a couple, I know, I know we, we don't want to do this all night, but it's all day. Um, <laughs> I have two really short ones, I think. Uh, there's one I'm going to skip because, eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> I kind of liked I like doing Twitter poetry, and I like doing it Twitter when poetry? Twitter was half half the the characters that they use now. And is it's that sort a, of is like that thing? Is it, yeah, oh, you're doing poetry to fit into a tweet. Yes, exactly. Okay, and um, they're sort of haiku like, but the, you know, it doesn't have that meter. But so this is another one that sort of, I guess, it falls into the disturbing category. But it's um, it's a it's for well. It's, it's about Warren Zevon, and it's not exactly for him, but it's. 
Gruff face jumps at mirror eyes, still rise to clever round frames. Oh God, I'm startled. You are dead. Why do I wear this t-shirt? Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to see every time I go through this, but I, but I, lo- I like that one. Yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> and uh, I will end with a brief, peaceful one. This is called Today While Anticipating You in Summer. Took the fern print blanket. Sang first time this month. Remembered the rainless hum of wanting. Bought raisins and radishes. Okay, that makes me sad. Oh, Mm. interesting. Huh. I, I, do, I don't feel sad when I see that. Oh, well. But it's interesting how it, hit, how it strikes different people. Radishes bring you sadness, Mary? No, it was the, the fern cover, the fern printed um, quilt. Oh. It, nobody's there. Oh, I see. I didn't I get see. from that, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, she was remembering the last time that she used that quilt and they were on it together. Uh, I, I mean, see. that's the picture I got. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's not there okay. now. Or she. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. They, they're not yeah. There. yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, thank you for that reminder, too, that everyone hears something differently. For me, this was more about sort of it was about anticipation. It's sort of like being in the moment of life and kind of looking forward to something. But yeah, the person isn't there at the moment, but it's just kind of the details of life mm. sort of poem. Mm. But um, thank you for inviting me to share some. Yeah, we'll, we got to do that again. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to. Uh, I like the uh, April because I really do kind of re-immerse myself into poetry. And even if I write bad things or something, I'm, I get back to writing and I really uh, hear other people's work. And, you know, it's a, it's a good reminder of an art that I really love. You've been listening to the Leftscape podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday.